All right, cool, man. We live. Okay, yes, sir. All right, welcome back to. (laughs) All right, welcome back to the IIY podcast today. I got a new guest on today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Uh, Yo, y'all, it's yours truly, Mister. How you do that there himself? Young bleeding the building. What's up with y'all? That's what's up, man. Yeah, I was gonna, you know, kind of go in from you know the beginning, you know, your early Mm -hmm. life, you know, then getting into the music, you know, and then where you're at now, you know what I mean? So. You know, what can you kind of speak on about your early life? You know, like what, where you grew up and. I tell everybody this, I'm about old as hip hop nowadays, man. So I'm, I'm born this way, man. Uh, my mother actually read me Dr. Seuss when I was still in the embryo. And I had an uncle that played, uh, you know, all African eccentric instruments, in particular the drums, congos, bongos, whole sits, and stuff like that. So I was playing the sit about five years old. Mother was reading me Dr. Seuss on the inside. Between eight months to a year, I could read Dr. Seuss. So when you break down the word rap, R-A-P, rhythm and poetry. So when I say I'm born this way, yeah, it started since since the beginning. Damn. Yeah, so I mean, they, they instilled that you in you as a young kid, you know, a young infant, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so, you know, when did you start making, you know, your own music, you know, as a young kid, you know? Um... Like I say, when I was able to kind of crawl and walk, um, I come from a musical family that just never incorporated records and stuff like that. So, you know, we come from shotgun housing projects. So I used to beat on the wood on the porch. You know what I mean? Uh, imitate my uncle. Um, my mother said I used to flip on the inside of her when he played the drums. She run her crazy when she was pregnant. So I'm a natural drummer. I've been playing a whole set since four or five years old. And um, I had other instruments, baby pianos, guitars, and stuff like that. So I always tinkered around with the rest of the instruments, but mastered the drums. So, like I say, since my youth and um, later in life, somewhere around nine years old, we had a poetry teacher. I was in the fourth grade, University of Terrace Elementary. Um, and she used to come by and teach us how to, you know, create poetry. And I learned from um, writing and constructing haiku poems how to write my own poetry and just formulate off of what I was hearing from New York early hip hop um, and back to the greats. And in particular in 83, I want to say Ron DMC put out the song first, you know, Ron DMC self-titled album. And um, it was a song called Wake Up on, on that particular record. Everybody else knows Suck MCs, Hard Times and Rock Box used to be my favorite um, rap songs in life. Um, but what I did was reconstruct Wake Up and wrote it about my family origin and my neighborhood and culture. And there was a um, poetry pamphlet that went around to all the elementary schools in the town that had a chance of reaching our state's capital. And my poetry was one of the poems that made that um, that pamphlet at an early age. So I felt like if I could reach our state's capital at nine, and they'll tell them what I could do with this rap thing in life. So yeah, everything, you know, that that's all me, man, from the gate. Damn, man. So, you know, going through high school and everything, you know, people, you know, were you rapping with other artists, you know, kids that were coming up doing the same kind of thing? Or was it, you know, kind of just you making music at that time, you know, where you were at? Uh, kind of like Pac say, thug life always existed, but I diagnosed it uh, for the city. And a guy before me, years before that, by the name of Kuiper, had was the first guy to come back to Baton Rouge with a gold record. But of course, other guys was making records. And um, I used to battle just like the New York MCs on the playground from elementary to uh, middle school, you know, three, five guys at a time. I never lost the battle. 
So I, I had that back and forth, my family, neighborhood, and city. Um, and instead of trains down here, you know, we caught city buses with the backpack and house to house home studios, you know what I mean? Um, honor to a lot of the guys that had that type of structure down here to be able to even kind of create music. If I started writing and been battling since, like a freestyle for I could write, so about 82, I probably was tinkering around and battling, but didn't know how to formulate my words on paper and knew how to write my rhythms. But by, excuse me, by 11, 1985, I started recording for the first time, my first demo tapes, and from that, I never looked back. Damn. So what was your first uh, street record that, you know, kind of blew off? Wasn't it uh, Much Love? Oh, you know about that, man. You did your homework, man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had a tape, man. It was a Barquet sample um, from a song from the Barquets called You Can't Run Away From My Love. Um, so we took that, put the friends who Dina drums under it, under it. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, producing and doing different things and had other older engineers and producers that was teaching me the equipment and, uh, you know, all the recording devices. So, yeah, that was the first. Um, I had to be about 16 or something like that. And shouts out to my man, Mike B. Williams, and uh, the whole Sterling family um, out this way that connected me with Mike was their bigger cousin. And Todd Sterling being my manager at the time, they was formulating a production company and was looking for young artists in the city. And um, I knew my guy Todd, younger brother Steve, and we grew up together, you know, high school and well, middle school really in basketball. So he hipped him to me problem to my mom's um, career when I was young and they started taking me to the studio again and recording and, uh, you know, felt enough about me uh, that they was willing to put some money up and press my first 500 tapes that we used to sell in the street corners and the dope spots, all the moms and pops record stores and the corner stores in the neighborhood. So from that year, I was, you know, recording, producing and distributing music at an early age before I really knew what that was, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what did that look like, you know, when you were, you know, out there on the corner, you know, just giving out tapes or, you know, how did you approach people, you know, passing by? Um, Natural hustler, you know, coming from the city I'm from. So I was out here with, with some of the best kingpins in my family, neighborhood kingpins. So the car evolution and everything, you know, MCM and Gucci and Louis Vuitton seats way back then, them, them type of guys was around me. So, of course, they supported me. I sell my tape for $5 along with what I was selling in, in the dope sack, you know what I mean? So right in the dope spot, you know, if I was selling you, you know what I mean, cocaine and weed, I was selling you a tape. I had that one difference between me and all them, that I sold a tape. And uh, with them respecting my hustle, me coming from their hustle, everybody supported and they, they burst. So, yeah, just right in the spot, just, you know, uh, what all cats would say, you know, the rap game is a lot like the dope game. You know, anything that you're selling, uh, you know, versus or minus the product, you know, it's just a different product, but that same hustle and method to the madness I apply to the rap music, the rap yeah. business. Yeah. So they went hand in hand, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Definitely. So, definitely. you know, while you were, you know, we were working at this time too, right? Because you, you always had just, you know, like day jobs and stuff like that, you know, even, you know, while selling yeah. drugs and, you know, working, you know, making music, you know, so you're always nonstop busy. You know, so yeah. what, what was a day in the life like that, you know, before, you know, you got the deal and everything? Um, you know, my, my family was some uh, go-getters, you know what I mean? Hard-working people and hustlers and all that type of thing. So I always wanted my own money from five years old. I was trying to cut the grass, but I was too little. 
and things like that. My uncles and them wouldn't let me lift weights and say I strained myself, you know, at an early age. So I was eager. So about seven years old, I had my first job sweeping a parking lot for the sandwich um, the sandwich shop. I learned, um, I did a book called The Making a Preserve when I signed with Tech Nine Nose Guys in 2010, 2011. We did a book to an album I did called Preserve. But the first chapter of that book, I tell you, tell you about the value of a dollar. And that's a job. I was a seven-year-old kid that I worked, you know, for about a week. And when it came time for payment and them to pay me, uh, I went in and finished my job all week and went to collect my check. So the lady that was just like owner or the manager of the building, she went to the cash register and she pulled out one dollar bill and and she, they, they sold sandwiches. So she said, you want a sandwich or a dollar bill? So as a kid, I didn't register right with me. I said, hold up. My parents live, we lived across the, right across the street from the building. So I went and talked to my dad and I was like, hey man, you know what I mean? To me, that don't even make sense. That's like 20 cent a day. And it's mm-hmm. 19, um, it's 83, 81, 80, 81, somewhere like that. So my pops was like, man, the hell with that sandwich, man. Go get your dollar and never work for him again. So I developed independence at an early age and, you know, and just, you know, the, the um, to be about my own dollar just off of my work ethic and working a job. So like you say, I started there. I keep me a day job. I had those type of parents, you know what I mean? My stepfather later, he was a hardworking man from Night War, New Orleans, on into Baton Rouge in his early days. And uh, yeah, just, just he, he installed the work ethic in me, a get up and go, man. You can't, you know, sleep all day if you want to really make some money. So they started me out, like I say, real early, um, getting my own money. And they coming from a state that we um, we come from. It was a long way from New York and definitely California. So I had um, kind of self-enterprise, man. It's just, you know, different odd jobs, odd jobs here and there with a sack on the side. So I always, it was like a wild Jamaican out here. I always did about eight things in a day. And then the more I grew into it. Yeah, it's a part of my DNA structure, man. I got to be up doing something or I'm sleeping, you know what I mean? Right. Damn. So you always working, you know? So what was the, there was like a story, you know, like your last job, you know, that you were working as a yard keeper, right? Or a groundskeeper or something like that? Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely. And that was your last job that you had to work. And then, you know, you, you went and went on a plane after there and signed a deal, right? Yes, sir. Um, from Kingston Point, man, out here, I was a groundskeeper at this apartment complex. And in the midst of that, you know, still doing what I always did. Uh, my homie had formulated a record company called C Local Records. And uh, we started to build a clique called the Concentration Camp. And in the midst of me doing that, everybody having their individual, uh, you know, um, you know, work or whatever you was doing, you know, livelihood uh, in the street. We were still building and uh, reaching out to try to get um, a labor deal, some kind of major deal, and just right place at the right time when Master P was evolving and coming back to the South and making a body movie. Um, him and C. Lowe, you know, connected some kind of way, and we started, you know, swapping work between the camps, you know, No Limit and C. Lowe Ruckers. And eventually, with, with the access to P and that access to California Broadway Ruckers, he liked the how you do that record was written to call the fool was my first solo record on C Loke records, other than kind of being side man for the C Loke um solo albums that he had made a couple of years prior to that. So eventually, you know, not what you know is who you know, one thing led to the next. He got that record out to California 
pass his interest into the hands of Broad and Rutgers. And before I know it, and like you said, uh, they offered me a flight for a weekend to come check out everything to see, you know, if that's something I wanted to get into. And he, again, the rest is history, you know? Right. Damn. So this was after that, how you do that there came out, right? Yes. Yeah, so the original one I want to say came out on the first subtitle concentration camp album in 96, if I'm not mistaken. It was number one in the city and spreading fast. And, you know, like I say, Pete caught a whim of it and um, grabbed it, you know what I mean? And passed the torch and, yeah, you know, it, it was flight after that, man. That was since then. So yeah, what, what you know, when he heard it, you know, I mean, do you did he call you up or how did he even approach you about, you know, doing the remix to that song? Well, really him and Loke, I think they discussed it. They pitched the idea to me before I was really up close and personal with Pete. And Pete being who he was at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, let's go with it. And eventually um, he called me out to his studio on Carpet Boulevard out here when, you know, where No Limit was situated. Um, and, you know, we got to know each other a little better and we started doing, you know, other things for us, the future. But yeah, from that, you know, day one, day one, and, it, you know, it's been lovely. The numbers hadn't stopped running since then, man. So yeah, it took off and still running. You did. Yeah. So, you know, after that came out, you guys did the video and then, mm -hmm. you know, was that your first time doing a big video like that for it? For any kind yeah, of- Yeah, no. I want to say my biggest video still to date. I did numerous videos and we tinkered around in the beginning doing a little minor stuff um, in the town. But um, yeah, that's the biggest one to date. I, I remember being in California and waking up at six, seven in the morning and being rushed to go, you know, get on the video set while I was still wiping the coal out of my eyes. I'm looking at a yacht, a million dollar beach house, a Bentley, the whole nine. And I had, I just started going to California like in 97. So all of that kind of came, you know, in the same gambit. And from that, yeah, you know, smooth selling as the boat was selling, man. So, yeah, I had to adapt fast to that and run with the game. But, yeah, that's my biggest video to, to date, to this day. Yeah. Damn. So, you know, after it came out and you were getting all this attention, you know, mm -hmm. how, what doors did this open for you? Oh, uh, the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> hit Australia. Yeah, hit Australia from that, man. Yes, sir. So a lot of the people out there were really messing with the track out there. Yeah, you got to keep in mind, it's been so many remakes and relicks and, you know what I mean, wordplay since that record, uh, like I said, on up until the modern day. So, I mean, I done made numerous records over the years, compilation and collaborated with a lot of people, all coats. But I cannot go to a club or any event if you don't know anything. If you don't know me, you know that record. So I spring my new stuff. You know, every time I do a show, if I got a new record or something up and coming, but the people won't let me leave without performing. Really, you know, not only how you do that there, but, you know, half of that balls in my word out. So yeah. still to this day, man, yeah, I'm still flying off the first plane, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a really big song, you know, and that's, you know, the first song I heard, of, you know, with you in there, you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. that, that can be for a lot of people, you know, and they're like, oh, who's this dude? Let's check him out, you know what I mean? So that... Definitely was a good decision, you know, doing the remix and everything, you know, and do the video. Uh, yes, sir. No doubt. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, so after you made that, you know, I'm sure that made you want to work even harder, you know, and Definitely. continue to do that, you to continue to make more music, you know, because you didn't want to be just known for that, you know, in which you didn't. Cause right. And now we know you have all these other songs and plenty of other albums that you came out with after, you know what I mean? So. 
Describe yeah, the mindset so, that, you know, that was, you know, going on through your head after that came out and, you know, what you wanted to do. Okay, going back to the evolution, like I said, you know, born this way, that was my life dream. I just always dreamed and prayed about a break like that. And so, of course, when it came to me, you know, I still had to let go. And it's just, you know, it's a natural thing for me, you know what I mean, with and without money. Uh, and in, in some sense, the definition of hip-hop. We grew into the money, real hip-hoppers and people for us, the hip-hop culture. It's a spiritual thing that's inside your head, inside your psyche, inside your heart, and it flow with your blood, your bloodstream, you know, at least for me. And, and I, I feel like I can speak for a lot of people, definitely the culture. So it's an everyday thing, man. You know, um, if I worked a job, my one of my lifetime partners I'm sitting next to now, we worked at a pizza hut together. And the bosses we had was high school bosses. And the father, the overall neighborhood father, was a guy by the name of James that always gave us jobs if we needed to do anything in and out of high school. But they knew me and what I did and what I was pushing towards. So everybody supported me. Um, and the guys used to let my guy that I'm sitting next to sit next to me while I washed dishes or made pieces and keep a notebook or napkins. You know, uh, I hear Jay-Z mention, you know, he used to have to write these things down and memorize. But I used to have a pocket full of napkins when I came home and I had to go home and reconstruct my rhymes. But that type of love in the community, man, and support uh, for us, my family here again, the neighborhood and the whole city. And it just morphed, you know what I mean? And like I said, until the current day, you know, and it had been nonstop, an ongoing faucet. So, yeah, man, uh, yeah, definitely from from that, man, so many ways, so many days. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. And you're still doing shows and everything like that, you know. So yeah. now with your new independent label, you know, uh, what is some things that you learned from, you know, being on? And, you know, a major record label to, you know, going on it independently, you know, because I hear you say a lot, you know, it's 90 percent business and 10 percent music. So, you know, yeah. kind of explain that. Um, when, when I first got in the industry and everybody told me that I took offense to it because, you know, I didn't I learned backwards, you know, if, if you compare the artistry to the uh, to the business. So without having that proper schooling, I had to get mine out the mud, out the bricks and learn by um, experience. So I learned a lot of the experience just going up and down with record companies and so on and so forth, how to structure mine, how to treat the, the artists fair, how to school the artists, and, uh, you know, to help them get to that, that, that side. Some artists inspired to be businessmen as well, and this is all business. But what I try to do is take my personal experience to do's and don'ts and learn the correct way to do things, you know what I mean? Satisfy the people, and hopefully they satisfy you. So that's the whole thing, you know, with God first and just, you know, you know, my structure is um, life, love and legacy. Uh, God first, um, yourself for self-preservation. And I guess you could say family. So, you know, God, family and business. And in that order, you know what I mean? Uh, things have a tendency to fall in place, man. That's up. Yeah, that's dope. How many uh, artists do you have with you now that you're working with? 20 plus across the country. Damn. Yeah, that's a part of Trap Doe Entertainment, man. Real down and dedicated guys and girls, man. So all over the country. Yes, yeah. So do you guys do shows together or anything like that? or? Yeah, when, when we, we're in the um, vicinity, you mm -hmm. know, we, we're like a band of freelancers, you know what I mean, in that sense. So everybody kind of hold their section down till we form Voltron, you know what I mean? So when it's time we close enough or got something going that involves all of us in that city to city, 
you know, that type of thing, man. But um, no cap, I don't hold nobody's hand, they don't hold mine. And uh, we work on a, on, on a thing like this. Everybody got their own solo situations and studios and stuff like that. So when you're ready to turn in the record, let me double check it. And, you know, it's off to the, you know, to the playground after that, man. So that's the day-to-day -day operation. I stay working, everybody individually working, and we meet on the in-between and the end, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's good, you know, because, you know, he gives them the freedom to, you know, make their own decisions, you know, and then you do exactly. your own. But, you know, you guys help each other bounce back off each other and give feedback exactly. and everything. Like you said, like double check the record and everything. So that's that's it. a good thing. Yes, sir. Definitely. Yes, sir. So uh, right now, are you in the works of making your own music still? Yeah, you know, um, I'm actually working on another project. I think I'm going to call Bleed um, since I come home in the city. You know, a lot of my family members, and like I say, everybody got their own workstations and stuff. So I can go studio to studio and be working on a project here, a project there. You know, I'm normally at a minimum of working on 30 projects at a time. And that's just not 30 bleed projects. That's the Carleone family. That's my brother. That's my son. That's the rest of the artists. And, you know, all this fair, we make up a project to keep it moving. You know, I come from a piece of kitchen, so I learned if you want to eat, you got to stay in the kitchen. The more pies, the more money. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true, man. Your recent yes, um, album that came out this year was There Is a God. You know, what was your Absolutely. Was, an, was it an album? or I think it was an EP, right? No, um, the EP, the prequel to that was The Signs and Wonders. I released in 2020, I want to say. Oh, okay. uh, it was a prequel to... Um, there is a God, and that whole inspiration come from the COVID time and everybody looking for a cure, all these depths. But the one thing I saw the world was missing and people wasn't mentioning, maybe a few pastors here and there, but very slightly, if any, people forgot to, you know, give reverence and thanks and, and pray to God for any problem since black plagues and all that, you know what I mean? I'm a, you know, I'm a deep spiritual guy, so when you're talking revelation and the signs of the time, if revelation's in the 22nd chapter, it's, it's 2022. But what if those are those times? What you don't want to do is wait and let God catch you with your drawers down. So I'm giving my honor and my respect. And if anybody asking me here again how you do that, that would keep me focused in the midst of this. It's God. It always been that. You know, I teaspoon fed that throughout my career. And, you know, keep one foot in the streets. So like Casey Kasem used to say, um, keep your feet on the ground and keep reach reaching for the stars. So, you know, heavens and all the in-between on down to the earthbound, you know, uh, let that will be done on earth that is, as it is in heaven. So I, I, I keep, um, you know, that God element, you know what I mean, for us, the world. And I felt like, you know, everybody that got so business, busy, so short span that we forgetting the one thing that we can get correct with that one thing. Maybe the world could be a better place. So anybody looking at me, I wanted to take this time in my life and, you know, and you know, prayers to the world and everything that's going on in an effort to reach in the Father in the high heavens and he bless us the right way. And since then, we still hear about the COVID, but I'm seeing this slow down. So I just follow what's in my spirit and so far, so good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great way. That, that was a great album that you had to put out. You know, I mean, it was a perfect timing and yeah, you know, had a perfect meaning for it, you know, for everything that, you know, is around it. You know, so that's Absolutely. a powerful meaning. You know, it's more than yeah. just music. Yeah, it's more than music. You know, and music started in the heavens. You know, the devil ran the music in the heavens. So I always say this. If you know where you come from, you know where you at, and you know where you're going and where to take the game. If you don't read the instructions, you have no chance of winning the game. I mean, everybody get beginner luck and 
so on and so forth. But if you that one, two, three structure or the Trinity, however you want to put it, with that, at least you done did what you're supposed to do, and that's the best we can do from an earthbound. So, uh, yeah, back to the basics, man. That fuck. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that, man, because you got to know where you're going. You got to know where you've been and where you're at yeah. now before you can try and move forward with anything. Exactly. Agree. Yes, sir. Um, but, yeah, man, uh, d- did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, we was talking earlier, man. I always forget to mention that. Um, I dig what you're doing and so many people around the world and definitely keeping me included and and, and likewise my Casa Sue Casa. But I'm also part of a podcast broadcast station that's um, channeled out of H-Town, Houston, Texas, and throughout the world, worldwide audience by the name of um, Bangin832radio.com. I show up there every Tuesday night and Thursday night. We run the whole week around. But, um, 4 p.m. Pacific time, um, 6 p.m. Central, and 7 p.m. every Tuesday and Thursday nights where we do New Music Tuesday. And a lot of what you're doing, we bring up-and-coming artists, uh, underground legends and stuff um, of that nature on Tuesday night, on uh, New Music Tuesday. But on Thursday, we do like the throwback series with a lot of the OGs that I'm connected to and as well as um, the fam at Bangin' 832. And just keep an outlet going for everybody that's music connoisseurs, and got dreams of making music. So that's my first radio home and personal radio home. Shouts out to Southern Bell and High Risk. Um, along with my um, social media platforms, man, uh, for people that's interested in me, and you're a Facebook fan, go to the Young Bleed um, fan page on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at Real Young Bleed, and on Instagram, it's The Real Young Bleed. And um, as well as the label and the website, it's www.trapdoor ent.com and there's no slang words you know it's built in um in perfect english man so um other than that man google me reach out and touch me man we out here working all day every day to be continued to hear hell yeah man i appreciate you coming on man thank you i appreciate you a much love family hold it down and we're gonna hold you down yes sir here i'm gonna i'll hit end on here real quick